Luke 1, verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the land of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Will you pray with me? Lord, in the midst of Advent, we feel the tension of wanting to slow down and be present while also feeling pulled into the hustle and bustle. Would you please quiet our minds and hearts? We take a moment to breathe in your peace, God, and breathe out the cares of this world. Thank you for giving light to us who have sat in darkness. Please guide our feet into the way of peace that we might serve you without fear and holiness and righteousness before you all our days. Please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate you very much. All right, here we are in Luke chapter 1. So um, we sang a song earlier about um, Jesus being our deliverer. When we think about being a deliverer, what do you need deliverance from? Have you thought about that in a while? Have you thought about from what am I, am I trapped in? From what am I, am I mire, am I just stuck in emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it may be? What are you stuck in from which the Lord can and will and has promised to deliver you? Um, it's a question that's capturing my mind this morning, but ultimately all week long. And as we, as we ask that question, I want to remind us of the season. I want to remind us of what the season truly is about, and that is Advent, right? There's a, uh, an unbelievable pastor and scholar named Robert Weber who has now uh, gone to be with the Lord, and he says, that, I try to quote this every year as we begin Advent together. I didn't get to preach last week, so I'm going to say it to us today. Robert Weber says this, Advent is a time when we ask. Advent is a time when we even plead with God not to leave us alone. For when God leaves us to our own choices and turns us over to our own ways, we are certain to drift from him. The thing that I need deliverance from is drift. The thing that I need deliverance from is apathy. Been doing, walking with Jesus for a long time these days. And sometimes I don't feel it. Sometimes I long for him to speak 
I long for an immediate answer, and I get nothing. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had these bouts with not sleeping. And I don't know if you have these nights where you go to bed and you're like exhausted at 1030. And you're like, oh man, thank God, sleep. And then at like midnight, you wake up and you're like, oh, time for the new day. Like apparently right when it's time for the new day. And your soul just cannot find the rest that it needs. And so you sit and you lay and you stare at the ceiling and you close your eyes and then you just really close your eyes. And you finally just, you just get to, your, to the point where you're pleading with God. Now all of a sudden I'm doing all the right things. I'm in the right place. I'm in bed. The lights are out. I'm, doing all, I'm, do, I'm counting the sheep. I'm doing all the things. I'm counting myself as a sheep. Oh, you are my shepherd. I'm even quoting scripture to the Lord. In Psalm 127 it says, You, O Lord, give sleep to your beloved. See, you said it. You will give sleep. I am your beloved, now is the time. It's midnight. <laughs> and I sit, and I lie awake, and I usually, the rule of thumb is I give myself an hour. If I sit there and my mind is still running, an hour later I get up, and I go, well, I might as well be, be, be productive. And so I go to my office, and I start to read, or I start to not write emails, although I have email, I have done that at three in the morning. Uh, but nonetheless, like I try to just store up, like just get out all that's in me because whatever's in me is no longer compatible with rest. I think that is kind of Advent really in a, in a nutshell. There's some stuff in us that we've got to plead with the Lord to do something in us and for us that we can do all the right things. We can sit in the right spot. We can just plead with him. And yet we have no ability to get the thing that we need the most. And that is God breaking in on us, doing something for us that we ultimately cannot do for ourselves. I can't make myself go to sleep. I, I have tried I can't do it. I need the Lord to give me what is his, and that is true rest. And so I would ask you, what are you pleading with the Lord for? Maybe it's deliverance from something. Are you pleading? Advent is this time to wait. And in that waiting, there is this hoping that Jesus will come and fulfill so many different promises. But what are you hoping for? What are you pleading with the Lord for? Some of us, it's a job, a promotion. Some of us, it's finding the right house. Some of us, it is uh, getting married. Some of us, it is it's finally having a child. Some of us, is getting noticed. Isn't, isn't that why we post so much? For some, there's a longing in us that this season, if we'll, if we'll slow down long enough, the silence and the stillness will invite us to discover what it is that we need so desperately. It's coupled with this other question, right, that I've just been kind of churning in my mind. What happens when the thing that we're pleading for has a delay to it? What do we do? I know what I do. I just described my process when I'm laying in bed. I go and I just give up on God. I go, all right, well, I'm going I'm to take matters in my own hand. I'm going to tire myself out at 2 in the morning. I'm going to come back. It's going to be dark. I'm going to try to wake my wife up and just try to go to sleep again. And then sometimes I lay there for another hour, but I'm not as patient the second time, and I'm not as polite, dare I say, in my prayers. Isn't that what happens when, when there's a delay to the promises that we feel God has given us? 
We, we start with some patience. We start with being polite, and that moves into being frustrated, and then our frustration gives way to impatience, and then our impatience, well, that just gives way to accusation, and then our accusation just finally gives way to being dismissive. You know what? You ain't hearing me anyways. I'm out. I'm going to go to my office and pout for a little while. Call it Productivity. This is what's in the heart of all of us, I think, and ultimately it is why we don't like to wait. It's why it's overrated in our hearts and in our souls. It's why you pay, how much money do you pay to not wait every year? Amazon Prime, anyone? H-E-B curbside or delivery, anyone? 3% upcharge on every item, by the way, in case you didn't read the fine print. That's why we don't do it in my house. My wife is so thrilled. DoorDash, how about your iPhone or your Android? Doesn't that keep you from the pain of the waiting room when you're waiting for something? You know, I just <laughs> seen that story four times today already. Apparently, I needed a fifth. The iPhone keeps us from the pain of waiting. Microwaves keep us from the pain of having to wait hours. Now hours are turned into minutes. It's why we have air fryers and pressure cookers and toaster ovens because it just takes too long to do it the old way. And yet there is a gift if we would wait. You see, waiting is painful because it creates in us a vulnerability that we don't like to admit that's there. It means you're not, you actually can't solve all your problems. You have to wait for someone else. That's why the doctor's visit that you go to and there's an appointment at 3.30 and you don't see that doctor until 4.15, you're like, man, if I lived my life this way, it wouldn't really work out that way. And you have that running narrative in your mind. The waiting creates in you a vulnerability that comes when you are aware of your dependence on someone else. But I need this person to intervene in my kid's life or in my life, and so I have to wait. I'm vulnerable I'm needy, I'm dependent. Only happens when we realize the value of waiting. Waiting means that we have to be vulnerable to admit that we, friends, are not in control. And we are not as self-sufficient as we'd hoped. Waiting admits to dependence. And I don't know what's going on in your soul right now, but perhaps there's an anxiety or perhaps just putting our finger on what's going on with waiting creates in us a little bit of peace. Wherever we, walk, wherever we are, uh, we have to admit that at the heart of most of our desire for sin is a lack of a tolerance of the pain to wait. Isn't that why we run to Netflix? Isn't that why we run to alcohol or drugs or pornography? Is that why we even might want, want to run to work? Really good things that we've made the God thing, which has made it the bad thing. It's why we run to lesser things, is because we want immediate relief now. We want some results that we can put some formula to that then we can, we can replicate later. But the faith that we have is built on relationship and not a formula. So if it's built in relationship, then we know if we're in any sort of relationship with any other human being, we realize that, man, what I did last week is not working this week, and now i got to be dependent and try and figure it out again. 
Relationships are that way. They are anti-formulaic. Waiting is countercultural, counterintuitive, and dare I say counterproductive. That's what I think in the middle of the night when I can't get sleep. Well, this is counterproductive. But is it counterproductive? What if waiting, what if waiting is the means by which God produces something in us, the best way that God produces something in us, and he does so through waiting? What if God's greatest longing, have we thought about what God's greatest longing is for us during this season? We talk about what you want for Christmas, but what does God want for us? What if God's greatest longing isn't that we become more efficient or more productive or quicker in our tasks, but to slow down and become more aware of his ways and his words, and dare I say, just as was prayed earlier, that we would truly be still and know that he is the Lord, and we're not. Well, if all this is true, if God is causing us to wait, if he is inviting us to be still so that we can know he is the Lord, well, then there is a way of peace. It's what the Bible says, that 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 God is inviting us into the way of peace. The way of peace comes through the pain of waiting. No other way that we can have the way of peace except going through the pain of waiting. And instead, we may short-circuit the way of peace by seeking pleasure, by seeking relief over rest, by seeking immediate formulaic results instead of a deeper meaning of a relationship with our God who has come near. So let me shift gears and just invite us into the scripture as we now are aware of what's going on. Why is it that this Advent season is so difficult to just kind of slide into everything in us is waging war against this type of waiting and awareness and longing and dependence. But we've got some really beautiful characters in the Bible today that we don't often highlight in the season of Advent or any other season. Zechariah and Elizabeth, or as I have in my notes, Zech and Liz, you know, the couple around the block. They've been around for a while. They've been waiting for a child now for a long time. They're the, they're, they're the family on your block that are in their 60s or 70s, and you know their story. Righteous, solid people. He actually works for the Lord, and she is faithful in giving herself away to other young women, young mothers, just like she did with Mary. Actually, she's Jesus' aunt, and he is Jesus' uncle, And this prophecy is about Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and there is a great value in unpacking this story, right? John, uh, the Gospel of John, talks about uh, the true light which gives light to everyone, speaking about Jesus in John 1. And as he speaks about Jesus in John 1, he also says this about John the Baptist, that he came to bear witness about that light, Remember, it's all about the light before Christmas as we've been talking about throughout Advent. And so if that's true, we may miss the light, the true light that gives light to everyone if we don't focus on the light that came to give witness to the true light. That is John the Baptist. So as we look at this, I want us to kind of just rediscover this with new eyes. As we think about Zechariah's prophecy, I think the first thing that we can realize is that Zech and Liz, this, this couple in our neighborhood, so to speak, man, they are a great mirror for us. They mirror for us uh, some needs that we have. 
Um, sometimes when you read the Bible, I don't know about uh, when you do this, but when I do this, I read the scriptures sometimes and I go, man, that's a long time away in a culture that I don't quite understand. And it's just so far removed that I might just glide past it all as irrelevant for my life. But let us just be invited to just see ourselves in the scripture a little bit by the mirrors of Zech and Liz. As we do that, I think what we'll see is that the Bible can sometimes feel distant, but it uses similar language, different language, but similar language, to invite us into our own experience. You might ask, what do you mean? Well, here's what I would say. Um, you know, the Bible talks about uh, words like, um, well, it says it right here in verse 7. Let me just read it. Verse 7, actually, I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 7, and I'm just going to invite us into the bigger picture. Go one uh, page before. This is talking about now uh, Zech and Liz, verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Is that not just another way of saying they were, they were longing? Is that not just another way of saying they were waiting, they were desperate, they were dependent, just like you and me, and though we are not, quote-unquote, advanced in years, not all of us, and, and some of us are not, quote-unquote, barren, man, there's a whole lot in that context that we can go, yes, barren, physically with child, but also, man, just in my own soul. There's familiar language here that if we would just wait and see, what we would see is that no one is exempt from suffering during this time, or any time. Least of all, Jesus' family, and if they're not exempt, then perhaps we are not either of longing, of being desperate, of being advanced in years and yet barren. You see, the, this couple is barren and advanced in years. And if you just put yourself in that situation, that happens when you're waiting, when you're hoping, when you're longing, when you're doing everything right month after month, and yet everything right month after month is left with disappointment. Year after year, decade after decade, until what you can describe as advanced in years. The second thing that we can see, right, is this mirror that's not only just like everyone is, is going to suffer, but also our faith is not a formula, right? We may think that year after year, with all of this suffering going, all of the disappointment that we may have through the season of Advent or even through life, we may assume then our suffering and lack is a result of sin, if you go back up one verse, in verse 6, it talks about Liz and Zech, and it says, and they were both righteous before God. Your lacking in life doesn't necessarily mean that you have been sinful on the side. could be that you're righteous before him, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Zechariah was even a priest in the temple. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe Maybe God is doing something better. Maybe God is doing something bigger, more powerful, and with greater purpose than just showing that whatever we're lacking is due to some lack in our life, our commitment to the Lord. No, there's no formula in this. Instead, what we find in this mirror of Zech and Liz is that they live righteously before the Lord whether they get what they want or not. Isn't that the greater invitation here? The, the, the motive being examined in all of our hearts to go, okay, why am I obedient to the Lord? Is it just to, to get stuff from him? Because he's calling us to a life that is righteous before him, walking blameless in full view of his sight. You see, sometimes, though, 
even though we can continue to walk in righteousness, sometimes the pain of the weight leads to such deep disappointment that we drift into disbelief. It's another way that this young couple, or dare I say old couple now, sheds a mirror to us because you see it right here when, when the angel uh, delivers the message to Zechariah in the temple. He says, you are going to have a son. You will have a child. And we'll unpack that in just a moment. Zechariah's answer, uh, this, is, this is what the, 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 the angel says. And there appeared to him an angel, verse 11. And the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of the incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What good news. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. What beautiful news that must have been for him. But sometimes, when you're old and advanced in years, you might think to yourself, are you kidding me? Isn't that what Zechariah says in verse 18? And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Like it depends on what your definition of advanced in years is. Like if you're in your 30s and you've been trying to have children for a decade, you will probably go, finally, I'm in my 30s, let's do this. In your 40s, you're like, okay, all right, we're going to do that. In your 50s, it's like, what, what now? In your 60s and 70s, you go, now, how is this going to happen? Because, you know, we're advanced in years. It reminds you of Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? Reminds you of when they were 90 and 99, the same thing that they said to the Lord when the promise was given to Isaac. There are foreshadows all throughout the Bible about this moment. Yes. See, all along, what we realize through this passage is that we're not alone in our longings. We're not alone in our sufferings, just like Zechariah and Liz were not alone in their sufferings. They had Abraham and Sarah to draw upon. We have both couples to draw upon to realize we are not alone in our longings. And sometimes, as I said, when our disappointment gives way to disbelief, we start to doubt the Lord. And we go, oh, I don't really know how that's all going to happen, just like Zechariah did. And sometimes, sometimes there's a rebuke. In verse 19 and 20 of Luke 1, it says this, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Uh Uh-oh. It's about to get real. I stand in the presence of God. Uh Uh-oh, again. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their name. And Zechariah went silent for nine months. Can you imagine longing for decades that your wife would finally get pregnant or that your husband and you like all of a sudden you're pregnant and all of a sudden your wife and your husband and you can't communicate. That'd be rough. Like all the planning, all the celebrating and yet your husband or you, you're just suffering through it. You can't communicate. How frustrating would that be? And yet, what if God silenced him for a reason because the things that he would have said during that time may not have been the most honoring? And we see this at the end. We see when his, when his mouth is finally opened, her womb is finally open. At the end of this is what we're going to finally get to. I know it's past 11 o'clock. Apparently, I'm not taking uh, the, the clock into account today. 
But look, what you see, right, is, is like what you see when we get to this is that, is that Zechariah, when he finally opens his mouth, is full of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to, begins to do something that no one had done in over 400 years. Look at verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? Prophesied. The prophets had been silent for 400 years. What was nine, what was nine months in that season? All of a sudden, this, this word from the Lord starts to, to pour out from the, from the one that probably felt it in his heart and in his longing the most that finally the deliverer was coming. He had to be silenced. He had to, he had to wait. He had to long in a new way. With great expectation giving birth, coming, coming forth through his, his wife's womb, and he couldn't even tell anyone about it until the end. Man, it leads us to our second point, which is God has a better plan than us. As we, as we think about the way of peace, the way of peace that we can understand that God has a better plan than our plan. Zech and Liz have been waiting and wanting kids for decades, and God held, on, held out on them. It wasn't because he was cruel, it was because he was appointing a time, a perfect time for his divine child to come into the world. And then before that divine child, their own son had to be here. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who had a particular appointed purpose that could only happen within this window of time. And so God's perfect plan is unfolding, and you see it. Go back with me to verse 14. Look at this perfect plan. Verse 14 is unfolding. The angel's declaration is continuing. Not only will his name be John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Oh man, all this longing is going to give way to joy. All the longing of Advent will eventually give way to joy and gladness and rejoicing for many, for he will be great before the Lord. Oh, I'm not just going to have a kid. The Lord's going to see him and anoint him as great. Oh, okay, the wait may have been worth it then. This is going to be greatness, and he must, uh, he'll be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Well, that sounds like a parenting dream, to have a kid filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Are you kidding? Yes, I will take this. Oh, man, and he now listen, look, look, now we got to see this now, the, the purpose of John, his, of John the Baptist and his ministry, he will turn, he will cause many to repent. Remember his main message, repent. He will turn many from the ch- children of Israel to the Lord their God. Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't that our longing, every parent's longing for our kid, that they would be an instrument of salvation for the world? And he will go before him in spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What beauty. What a gift. Does your, does your heavenly father say that to you when you were pregnant with child? Did he whisper that to you when, when, when you were expecting your kids to come? Has that happened to you as a student so far that God was declaring 
explain to you these beautiful truths? No, what a special thing that they had that we can cling to as well. I'll, I'll tease that out in a moment. God's plan was unfolding with perfect timing. He was unfolding a perfect plan which could not have been seen beforehand. So look, look, if we endure the discomfort of waiting, we will see the beauty of God's slowly unfolding perfect plan. So now we're back into this prophecy. Look at this plan that Zechariah is prophesying now that he can speak and he's prophesying something beautiful. Verse 68, blessed, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Worship him. He's worthy of everything we have for he has visited and redeemed his people. We need a visit from the Lord. We need a a redeeming visit from the Lord. In verse 69, God was culminating a millennial old plan. Listen to this. And he has raised up for us a horn of salvation. That is a sign of symbol, a symbol of strength and might. That's what the horn is, of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. We go down to 72, and we see the wisdom of this plan to show mercy in verse 72. He is showing mercy as he promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, right? He he has shown mercy to us. In verse 73, it's an oath that he made that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. This was a thousands year long promise that now was coming to fruition with John the Baptist and then eventually with John, I mean with Jesus. In verse 70, right, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Did you remember what the angel said about John the Baptist in the first part of 1? Let me read it for you, but I'm not going to read it for you out of John 1. I want to read it from you from Malachi. The last prophet that spoke before that 400 years of silence, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, look at what God says will happen. Behold, I will send you Elijah. I will send you the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Well, that sounds familiar. And the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Jesus was coming in mercy, not destruction. And God was making good on the most minute of details in the Old Testament to prove to all of us that whatever we've given up on, he hasn't. He's got the forefront of his mind. And he will fulfill it if he's promised it in the days of old. Zechariah continues on in verse 71 and verse 74 to tell us this this redeemer, he's going to free us from all of our enemies. He's going to keep us from all of our enemies. Look at verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. What great promise that we have. And of course, we'll get it twisted if we think that God came to save Israel from the enemy of Rome, or that God has somehow blessed America in some way to keep us from the safety of, quote-unquote, all of our enemies. And yet, that is not the truth of the Scriptures. The truth of the Scriptures is that our enemies are Satan, sin, and death. And he sent this baby boy to be this symbol of strength and salvation that he will and has indeed saved us from our enemies. 
of Satan, sin, and death. And yet we long until the day that he does it completely. He has done it, and yet he will eradicate it completely. Now, if God is doing all that, our weight becomes easier and our orders become clearer. We're on the home stretch, y'all. What are our orders that have come so clear? I think we can take our cues from what Zechariah prophesied over his son, John the Baptist. Verses 76 through 79. This is about JTB, not about Jesus the Christ. But it does tell us some things that we can hold and cling to. Look at 76. And you, child, now that he's done blessing the Lord for all that he has done, going to save us from our enemies, the horn of salvation is coming, he is going to make good on all the promises that he made in the Old Testament as they all find their fulfillment in Jesus. Now you, O child, O John the Baptist, the one that was to come, let there be a blessing over you, my son, and you, child, would be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. What can we do in the wait? Well, we can prepare the way for others. With our eyes on God fulfilling all that he has promised, we can prepare the way for others to receive the forgiveness of their sins. Um, so we're kind of fresh off of Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? I wish I could ask all of you that. Mine was, was, was good. Like I, I kept it and we, and, we, and we did Thanksgiving with people we normally do life with. It was actually a little odd. Because there was no one new there from the extended family from what we already do like Sunday to Saturday. Like my sister wasn't there. My dad wasn't there. There were like my aunts and uncles weren't there. Like it was just a very fine and familiar but different thanksgiving and yet in that i was reminded of a longing i was reminded of a whole family i was reminded of a longing. and i even spoke this out like well this is not exactly what we'd all hoped when we were growing up all the cousins running around and you know giving each other swirlies in the toilet or whatever we did mine used to take my arm hair and and do this do this and take my arm hair and then make my, you know, after it was all stuck together, they would pull my arm apart and rip all the hair out of my arm. It was great. It was fun. Love it. <laughs> the beauty of being a baby. You, but you kind of miss that. There's a longing in me to be like, man, where are my cousins? They live like all over the world. Surely they want to give me the burn. There's a longing there that I think only comes when we have a little bit of that disappointment. But if I look, if I see with spiritual eyes, that longing just points to my longing for wholeness with Jesus. The things that's been promised right here, that this prophet would come and prepare for the Lord a people prepared for him. Maybe that longing, maybe that disappointment is there to prepare me for the dreadful day of the Lord, as Malachi says. Maybe we are then called, as John the Baptist did, to prepare others, to tell others, the coming king is coming. The Lamb of God is here. He's on his way. He'll be here. We're going to celebrate it. But he's on his way. He's come to forgive us, but he'll come again. And the second chances of forgiveness will one day end. 
If you, you don't know what that looks like, go read Revelation, Revelation 19. It's a dreadful day, as Malachi says, of the Lord. A day of judgment and wrath. And I want to be on the right side of that. I want all my family members to be on the right side of that. And my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers and coaches and whomever else. May I not be just relaxed into the malaise of, well, someone else will probably share the gospel with him. I've told you the story before of my friend that I met at Starbucks, and he died of a heart attack on the way to run on, uh, run on Aaron for his wife. And you know what just rushed over me, wave after wave, if I was, as I was doing his funeral? Was, man, I just wish I had a little bit more time with him. A professing atheist till the day he died. I wish I had a little more time with him. And I shared the gospel with him regularly, and we dialogued politically all the time. But I wish he just had just a little bit more time, and it woke me up to that malaise. It woke me up to realize I may not have until Friday. I may not have until Tuesday. And may I be awakened in that way throughout the Advent season to warn and prepare others for the way of the Lord. May we proclaim the forgiveness of sins right there in 77. The knowledge of salvation is here and the forgiveness of their sins. And why? Because God is judgmental? Because God has come to take what's his? No, it says in verse 78, listen now, this is the invitation. Because of the tender mercy of our God, it is God's mercy that he wants to warn all of us and therefore us to be instruments of preparation for all those around us. It is an instrument of God's mercy that we would be dependent. That we would ultimately be dependent even in those moments, not knowing what to say or how to say it, and be dependent. Finally, what else can we do? We can prepare the way for others. We can participate in this big story of inviting others into the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, but also what we can do, right, in our God dependence, see, we can keep walking. You might think, well, what does that mean? Read with me. 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in that shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, what are you longing to be delivered from? What are you pleading with God for? For me, sometimes it's sleep. For me, it's sometimes a land and a building. For me, it's sometimes for, for, for deep friendships for my children. For me, sometimes it's just really in the longing of 2 a.m., I just want God to speak to me. And he will remain silent for his good and sovereign ways. I just get frustrated. And I start to quote back to the Lord, but I'm your child, and you're a good dad. And there's some frustration. And in those moments of longing and needing to be delivered, we sit we sit in that darkness, just as the scriptures say. We get acquainted with that shadow of death in our souls and in our spirits. We want to give up on God's redemption. We go get tempted by sin's simple pleasures. But oh, the promise 
that we have in the gospel. Because of God's tender mercy, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. For those that are sitting in darkness, there is a dawn coming. And it's, it's subtle. You ever notice the dawn is subtle? It's not just turn the lights on. No, it's on a dimmer. Just like your neighborhood is slowly lighting up as you get closer and closer to Christmas, so it is the dawn is coming with Jesus. And we are sitting in darkness, and yet he has given us a guide to the pathway and the way of peace. Would we look for it? Would we long for it? Would we walk towards it? Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things that we long for that are not promised by you, nor that are delivered by you. Sometimes the longings that we have can simply be fulfilled by an Amazon order. But Lord, I pray that we would be a people that see our deepest longings and needs through this season. That we would see that you're preparing us for something that only you can satisfy. So as we're still, just for these moments, maybe we need to ask you some questions. Lord, what are my longings preparing in me? What is being prepared in me in this season of Advent that can only be made known through understanding and recognizing what I'm longing for. What are you preparing in our hearts, O oh Lord? Perhaps it's not preparation. That's where the Lord isn't meeting you. Perhaps he's meeting you in relationships and in strife with enemies. Perhaps we've given up on shalom, wholeness, and peace with somebody. Thanksgiving was just the reminder we don't have what we hoped for. What relationship then are, have we given up on that you have come maybe to reconcile? Perhaps there's a sunrise visitation coming and we need to long for that. In relationships, in preparation, perhaps we're, we've sat down. Perhaps in our faith we've just sat down in the, in the valley of the shadow of death and we've said, you just go on ahead, good shepherd, I, I gotta sit here for a little bit. You're not, you're not really hearing my longings anyway, so I'm just, I'm just gonna sit here. Maybe our feet have wandered into sin, maybe our feet have intentionally pursued sin and there's an invitation today to guide our feet into the way of peace maybe we need to examine where we've wandered and heed the call to come back as we respond O oh Lord by your spirit meet us where we are in our longings and in our questions As we wander in the darkness, let us not be afraid because 
You're more powerful than whatever draw the darkness has for us. You're more patient than however long we wander in the darkness. You're more persistent than our stubbornness to remain there. And you're more merciful than to leave us there even when we plead with you just to leave us alone. In your mercy, you rescue your children from even their own desires. May you do so now and this week and in this season. In Christ's name, amen.